This morning, I want to uh, deal with a topic. I, I was listening to just what they were saying on there, and it's amazing that even from that age, even to our age, what I want to talk about today is the biggest battle that you will continually face for the rest of your life. You, it will not end today. But you can draw a line today or set a standard or set a precedence today. It, it, it will not just uh, evaporate. I love the fact that one part of the Bible speaks of Jesus when he's tempted of Satan. And at the end of the temptation, we know the three trials and, and how he told him to turn the stones to bread, all of this. And the Bible says something unique at the end. It says, and Satan left him, and I thought, yeah, for a season. And I thought, really? I mean, he just whipped him. He just, what else could he? But there is battles. There are certain battles that every one of you in this room, including me, will deal with every day or every week or every season of your life. And it is the battle of being able to decide of whether you struggle or suffer from FOMO or not. Look at the person beside you and ask them, do you have FOMO? See, you're going to learn something today. Look at the person beside you and say, you're going to learn something today. I got something I didn't even know I had. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 4, 17 and 18, and I'll, I'll lay some groundwork of what I want to talk about. The word is, is a title given from 1995. It was a research started in 1995. And from then on, this has become a normal thing that in our society didn't seem so big back then. It was small. It was, it was something they were researching. But by the 2000s, it exploded. And FOMO became an enormous problem. In fact, it's one of the largest problems in our society today. And, and FOMO is just simply this, the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. Most people do things because I didn't want to miss out. Uh, in fact, the definition that we can give for it is this. In fact, if you pull it up on your internet just like I have and everything else, you, you don't have to, it ain't like something I'm making up. This is, just, this is just normal stuff. But FOMO is this. The uneasy and sometimes all-consuming feeling that you're missing out that your peers are doing something or in knowing about something or in possession of something or of more of something better than you. Something's happening that you're out of the loop. Something's happening you're missing out on. Under the framing of FOMO, nearly three-quarters, three-quarters of young adults reportedly they experienced this phenomenon normally. Listen, in our society, it's even worse because let me give it to you in a, in a different definition. It's a feeling of anxiety or insecurity over the possibility of missing out on something as an event or an opportunity. <clears throat> if I say to you, let me give you an example. If I say to you, hey, we got a party tonight, We're, or this 4th of July, we're cooking out at Tim's house. You need to come over. And you already have plans with your mother. Or you, you already got something you were just, or you just don't feel comfortable. And you say, no, 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 I don't want to come. I don't want to bother you or anything like that. And, and you say, no, I'm, I'm not going to come over to your house, Tim. I'm, I'm just going to, 
and you go home today and you're eating your Fruit Loops, how do you feel? I wonder, well, I bet they're having a ball over there. You had to go home and, and because, because something had to be done or something, and you're so mad, like, I mean, everybody else gets to have fun. I have to mow the grass today. Everybody else is having it good, but not me. Hey, if you don't believe that this is a phenomenon, just go through any of the drive throughs or any of the McDonald's, Wendy's, and look at the person taking your order and giving you your food and, and ask them, do you wish you were somewhere else? You can look on their face. You don't even have to ask them. Why? Because even though we're doing something, we feel like I'm missing it. Even to the point we don't want to a lot of times go to work because we're afraid everybody else is having fun while we're working. We don't want to to have to go through that. So if somebody invited you to a party, now years ago it wasn't as big a problem because, you know, if you looked at your parents and we didn't have all the media and all the stuff to keep up with, so so you would say, hey, Dad, Kenneth's having a party, and I'm going to go over to his house. And your dad said, no, you're not, son. Dad, I'm telling you, man, everybody else gets there. You know what your dad would have said back in those days? You ain't going to die, boy. You're not going to die. And you know what he would say the next day? See, you didn't die. And you would have learned to have gotten over it at a younger age. But did you notice on the screen, when the preacher was preaching, he was trying to pour into them, listen, you may feel like you don't have a part. You may feel like a nobody. You may feel, but listen to me, God's got a plan for you. And notice the boards that was up there. One was fear. One was anxiety. This was not... 50-year-olds that was in that room. He's not preaching to 40-year-old married couples. He's preaching to 10 to 12-year-old kids that from that age are already feeling the pressure that everybody's got it good but me. Nobody. We learn it through all different ways and all different uh, avenues. In fact, go with me to Galatians 4 and 17. Let me read this verse. They zealously court you. In other words, what was taking plus was there was a group of people trying to move into the church. Let's just say it was all seasons. And there was a band of about 10 people that started coming to all seasons. And, and they started kind of meeting everybody after church, trying to talk to people. And what they were telling people was, was you know, y'all, man, y'all got a great church and everything. But if, if, you know what's holding you back is, is the fact that, that, you know, Women don't wear dresses to their ankles, and, and men don't wear suits every day. And, and, and that, if y'all just had that right, you would have a better church. And what they were coming in doing, trying to put laws on top of what was already got. And so they were trying to influence them, and they said, they zealously court you, but for no, no good. They do it, but it isn't for the good you think. Notice why they do it. Yes, they want to exclude you. They're looking for the ability to be able to say, we're not like them. We're, we're over here. They're over there. We don't do things the way they do. We're Methodists, not Baptist. We, we, we do it. They're trying to find a way to exclude you. And notice for what reason? That you may be zealous again. You'll be zealous, but what are you zealous for? Them. How many people are excited about being a Christian? How many people are excited about being a Church of God member? How many people decide about being a Baptist? How many people? Because I can meet most people if I ask them about themselves. 
I'm a denominate, I'm a this, I'm a that. Why is that? Because what has happened is instead of pointing people toward Christ on a regular Babel, we push people toward I'm part of this group. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the group. I'm not telling you the Church of God, Baptist, United Methodist. I'm not saying any of that's anything wrong. But what I'm telling you is it's easier to try to force you and put you in a group than it is to live the life that God intended for us to live. Because in a group, you know the laws, the bylaws, what you're supposed to do, what you can't do, what chair you sit in, what chair you don't sit in. I mean, they got it all nailed down to where all you have to do is just go through the motion. Now, let's look at it from a time we're a child. Why in the world were they preaching to those 11 and 12-year-olds? Why were they preaching? Because from the time you pick one of these up as 11 and 12-year-old, if I I was to go out there last week and watch them play ball, let me tell you what was taking place. There were certain ones that were always like, give me the ball, give me the ball, give me the ball. You know why? Because they want to shoot. And then there's another one over there, he's not so sure, he's kind of, you know, he ain't very good at dribbling and he's done double dribbled and they done blew the whistle on him and like, man, you can't even dribble, you, just give me the ball. Just. What they're trying to do is, is to teach that one that all you're supposed to do is pass it to me. You don't shoot. You just do just what you're supposed to do And let me, why? Because that they may be zealous for them. The only reason I'm I'm, I'm doing it is because I need to know that I have a place. That I, I have a role. As simple as a little game that they learn as a kid. And you know, before long, when those kids, they won't ever shoot. Hey, let's play basketball. I can't play. Who told you you couldn't play? I, I, I'm not any good. Who told you you were no good? And before long, we accept the roles that other people tell us. FOMO is the anxiety that comes from watching other people do things you wish you were doing. This happens in marriages. Well, you can be in a great marriage, both people working hard, living together. You spend too much time online and watching everybody else and talking on Facebook how everybody else's life is cool but yours. And before long, you'll think you're in the wrong marriage, married to the wrong person. Why? Because you feel like you're missing out. If it wasn't for these kids, if it wasn't for this job, It permeates our society. Politicians feed on it. Do you not know that? Politicians, why do you think they promise you the moon? Because what they are telling you, I can fix your problem. All you got to do is vote for me. I will fix your problem. And then guess what? You vote for them and guess what? They don't fix your problem. You think you'd figure that out by now. I'm not saying one's right, one's wrong. I'm just telling you, they ain't going to fix your problem. And this is what Paul says. Listen to me. They're zealous. They want you to point toward them. They want you to believe not in God but in them because they're going to be the answer to your question. Well, then, brother, we ought not care about anything. Let's just not care. He said, no, no, no. Verse 18, listen to what he says. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. 
It's good always to be zealous about a good thing. And not only when I'm present with, not only when you come to church on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, you need to be excited about what God is doing. He said, you need to train yourself that, yes, people can't fix it. This church can't fix it. This, this ain't going to, but what will fix my life is my relationship with God. And to do that means I've got to do things differently. Could it be? Could it be that in your life this morning, that all the mundane and all the ordinary and all the other stuff that you're going through, just like, just like a kid learning to play ball, all those missed shots, all those times you clanked it, all those times you missed dribbled, all that effort, all that work, could it be that all the mistakes that you're making is just preparing you for one day when you do it right? Could it be that you're just learning how to one day do it the way God wants it done. See, our biggest problem in life starts here. We try to make plans. We try to make plans. Anytime in my life I've ever decided I'm going to make plans is the worst thing I ever did. I planned when I was young I was going to be an NFL football player. That was a bad plan. I grew to be 5'10 and a half, 5'11, 165, 175. All my plans didn't just go up in smoke. They got crushed by a lot bigger people. And my body said, we're not doing this. I remember my summer, my junior year, I got to go to the University of Alabama and just hang out a little while. And, and I got to eat dinner with other players that was there. I didn't even know who these players were. I mean, I was the man. I mean... What am I worried about these folks? And I sat down with this guy who was right across from me. He, he had five trays, and he was eating. His, his calves were as big as my legs. And I looked at this guy, and I was like, what do you play, like, like center? It turned out his name was Cornelius Bennett. He played for the University of Alabama. He was the All-American linebacker. Played 15 years in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills. You may have heard of him. He's in the Hall of Fame. He sat across from me smiling. And coach come and sat by me and he said, Tim, he said, do you want to cross the middle and get hit by that? And that was a, that was a life-changing question because I was really asking myself, do I want to go across the middle and somebody that weighs 235 pounds and can run as fast backwards as he can forward? That's what he could do. He would go out practicing, and I'd be out there watching. He could run as fast backwards as he could forward. And I thought, man, that's going to hurt. And I weigh 175. He won't even feel me. He'll just go through me. It'll be all over, painless for him. For me, I won't recover from it. I'll be hurt until I'm... And something snapped in my brain and said... Your plans aren't too hot. I don't think you need to be planning this. I love the sport. I love. But any time in my life, I was, I was going to meet this kind of person. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to. Anytime I had plans. Anybody ever struggle with that? You make plans. How your life's going to go. How the life. If you want to have a miserable life, keep making plans. And watch them a lot of times not work out and kids not turn out the way you thought and vacation don't go the way you wanted it to and nothing happens. 
I'll give you a better pro. Don't make plans. Just spend your life preparing for whatever God has for you. See, if I, if I was going to do basketball, I got plans. I'm going to play on the varsity team. I'm going to do this. I'm gonna, my plans could get ruined. But if I say to myself, every day of my life, I'm just going to prepare, I'm just going to prepare to get better and better and better. Who knows where God's going to take me? See, that's a much better life to live. You know what? I'm going to love my wife every day. You know what? I'm going to love my husband every day. You know what? I'm going to be the best parent I can every day. I'm going to do all. I'm going to prepare every day to do my best. I've got a book sitting by my, by my nightstand, How to Be a Better Parent, Parenting for Kids. I, all this. I, I, got, I got studies that we do all the time, me and Elise, like, like, like working on marriage and different making a great marriage. Why? Because I didn't make a plan and say, you know, in 2021, I'm going to, I am really going to start being the dad I want to be. What I did was I spend my life preparing. And when you spend your life preparing, then just maybe, in fact, guaranteed, whatever God has planned for you. In fact, God says, I know the plans I have for you. God never said anywhere he shared them. He says, I have the plans for you. Plans to do you good and not evil. I have the plans of your life. I have the plans to bring exceeding joy and pleasure in your life. I have the plans to do it abundantly above whatever you ask or think. I have the plans. You don't. You just keep preparing for life so that when that moment comes, you're ready. Let me show it to you because if you don't, then what you do is you live this anxiety life. You live this FOMO life feeling of missing out. Everybody's got it better. I'm just sitting here on my couch, missing out. I'm just sitting here in church, missing out. Pastor talked about all the stuff they did, and I, I didn't get to do any of that stuff. I didn't. Feeling of being left behind. That's a horrible feeling, but, but, but three quarters of our young people feel it every single day. Let me, let me show you how it works. One, one person wrote it this way, and it leads you to check your social media again and again and again so you don't feel out of the loop, so you know you're doing okay, so you don't feel left out. See, because of our society, it becomes worse. Who, when would we have ever thought that we would have to put laws in to tell you to put your phone down while you're driving? You're driving a 6,000-pound vehicle going three feet separated from another 6,000-pound vehicle coming the other way, and you don't have the ability to put your phone down? But you got FOMO. You feel like something's going As soon as that little light comes on on your phone and blinks, so, oh, must be. I wonder who needs me. I wonder what's going on. We get alerts. It ain't enough that we can look outside and say, it ain't raining. We got to have alerts that tell us. Bing. Some of you sitting in this room right now, it'd drive you stark raving mad if you had to go the whole two hours without being able to look at your phone. Don't lie. You have to... Why? Because, because we feel like we're missing we spend all of our time now on television watching reality TV. 
Watching other people live their lives so that we feel like we're living one through them. This is the society in which we live. Listen, but what if things are happening around us, the ordinary things were preparing us for the extraordinary? Go with me in your Bibles. Go with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. I want to share a story, one you've probably heard maybe once. The story of David and Goliath. Anybody ever heard that story? David and Goliath. We're going to deal with David and Goliath. I figured I'd pick something simple, real simple. But I could pick any, just about any story in the Bible. I could pick Jesus picking Peter and James and John. I could go to Elijah and Elisha. I I could pick multiple stories. It's going to tell you this same story that I'm going to tell you today because this battle that I told you is in every person's life. It's every person's battle, and you're going to have to deal with it today or tomorrow or sooner or later because it's going to keep coming back. Just like someone telling you to pass the ball, you're not a shooter. Hey, quit dreaming. You're not a dreamer. Hey, quit thinking that's, it's never going to happen for you. Always constantly trying to speak into your life who you are and where you're going and what you're going to be. In, in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, start with me at verse 14 and 15. I want to show you six things real quick about this story as I go through it that's going to help you in being able to draw a line and be able to say, I don't want to be that. The thing about me, I've had to battle this all my life, and I had to battle it in, in spades. Because I don't like attention, and because I, I don't really care for that, it hinders me more than a lot of people. A lot of people love attention. There's a lot of guys that are built for the pulpit. They love being the pastor. They love being the preacher. They love being, they love, I don't. If, if you catch me, usually you'll see me head out this door, go around, I'll shake hands with people, or I'll, I'll be. I, it's, not, it's not the thing I picked in life or desired in life. So when God looks at me and says, I want you to be extraordinary, I'm like, God, that is not really what I intend to be. I want to fit in. I want to be ordinary. I'll be a great Sunday school teacher. Just let me just go get a job. Be a son. I'd be happy. God said, no, no. I'm picking you for something. And here's the reasons I'm picking you. Number one, we don't plan. We just keep preparing. People ask me all the time, well, well what are you planning next? I almost want to laugh because I'm like, y'all don't know me very well. I have no idea where I'm going next. You had to have thought this out, this out. To some degree, I have a generous idea but it's not until the problem arises that God begins to say now here's how we're going to walk through let the problems of today be enough for today how are you going to pay for it I don't know how much I owe today that may sound crazy to you but listen to me it's the way I've lived my life all my life as far as serving God now, it doesn't mean I just go buy something I can't afford. That's not what I'm talking, I'm talking about, that kind of crazy. What I'm talking about is when I get up in the morning, if God pulls at me and says, hey, I want you to go do this, whatever you say, God, I'm not going to sit there with God for a two days or two weeks or two years and say, I just don't see how that'll work. I don't see what that'll difference that'll make. I don't see why. If God tells me in a few minutes, call Nathan. I'm going to pick up a phone and I'm going to call Nathan. I'm, I, I'm like, Nathan, how you doing, buddy? Just checking on you. And, and somebody's going to say, why'd you call him? Because God told me to. Why, why did you do it? Because God told me to. I want to live my life 
as much as I can with that mindset that God is telling me what to do. You don't plan, we live by purpose. Listen to verse 14 and 15 of 1 Samuel 17. This is the story of David and Goliath. Listen to what it says. David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul. They had a plan. They were fixing to go to battle. And David, all of a sudden, doesn't have any plans. He doesn't have anything really going on. So what happens next verse? But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in in Bethlehem. Now, what's that got to do with anything? Why is that so important? That while he was away from Saul, when Saul said, I don't need you right now. All right, I'm going to go help my dad feed the sheep. I'm going to go do something right now. It's not anything great. I'm staying in the king's palace, but I'm going to go back and feed the sheep. I'm just going to go back and take care of the sheep. I'll tell you why it's so important. Because on one of those occasions, we're going to find out a lion came out, and we're going to find out a bear came out. And that on his normal, everyday life, extraordinary things were taking place. What do you got to do today? Just got to go to work. But something may happen at work today. Hey, what do you got to do today? I got to go to church today. But something extraordinary may happen at church today. In the journey of my life, I've learned that as I'm just doing the ordinary, not trying to plan every detail, not trying to figure out everything that's going on, I'm just living my life that God says, Tim, I'm preparing you for something else. Number one is realizing that you got to, Shut down the plans. You say, well, that's not biblical. Yeah, the Bible says, listen, don't say what you're going to do next year. Don't tell nobody what you're going to do this. Don't, don't make plans. like. Tell them if God wills it, I'll do it. Now, if you just started that from everything you ever did, hey, where do you want to eat lunch today? Well, if God wills it, I'll meet you at the Mexican place. Do you see how it would change the way you think? What are you going to be doing next week? Well, if God wills it, I'm going to try to get work and I'm going to try to get my yard mowed. If God wills it. But if God calls me on, that's okay too. See, you would change the way, but you already got next year planned. You got Christmas planned. You got who's going to be over here. You already got where you're going to go this afternoon. You, you got it all. And if it doesn't happen that way, guess what happens? You get upset. Because somebody's messing with your plans. I plan to already be here by now. I plan to already have kids by now. I already plan to get married by now. I already plan to quit planning. Just start living. Number two, refuse then. If you're going to break this mindset of sitting around anxious about what isn't happening in your life and, and what others are doing, that you're not, refuse to stay behind. Go with me to verse 26 and 30 of this story. Verse 26 through 30. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? So, so David gets there and sees what's going on. Goliath is, and, and he turns around and says, Hey, if somebody goes out there and whips that rascal, what, what are you going to get for it? And man, they turn around and, and, and start saying, Hey, here, here's, here's what we're going to give you. The king's done said you can have his daughter. The king's done said he's going to make you rich. In fact, the king has said that you won't ever have to pay taxes ever again. Your family will be free of taxes from this moment on. It won't cost you anything. Man, that is a good deal. Verse 27, and the people answered him in this manner, 
saying, so shall it be done to the man who kills the king. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? Oh, why don't you stay where you're supposed to stay? Why are you shooting when you ought to be sitting on the bench? Why are you acting? You know I'm the oldest and you know I'm the one that's here for battle. I'm in the army. You're not in no army. Why are you come down here? And with whom, I love this, with whom have you left those few little sheep? See, I'm big dog. I got a sword. I fight in the army. You just, all you do for a living is take care of a few. And boy, I just, I think to myself, it would have been hard to bite my lip at that moment. Look, how many bears you killed last week? How many lions you ever slayed, Eliab? But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. Why? Because he refuses to decide in his life, I'm refusing to stay behind. I I refuse to stay behind. Go to verse, next verse. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? What have I done wrong? Is there not something that needs to be done? When we built that camp, that was it. It was just, it wasn't so much to accomplish anything, it was just, it was a need. Is there not a cause? Is there not a reason to do it? Is there not a purpose to do it? Yes. Then why are you fussing about it? Let's just do it. Why has anybody got to argue about it? Let's just do it. Oh, nobody gets mad now when you have 300 kids that recommit their lives and 100 and something want to be preachers. And all. Oh, man, that's the greatest thing in the world. But at the moment when, when Goliath is standing out there saying, which one of you am I going to kill? Which one of you am I going to whip? And you stand up and say, somebody needs to go take care of that problem. Don't be surprised if a lot of people look at you and start reminding you that you're not able and you're not qualified and you're not smart enough. You didn't get a degree in that. You're not able to do what you're saying you need to do. Verse 33. We'll go to verse 30. Go back to verse 30. Let me read that. So what do you do? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And those people answered him as the first ones did. So when Eliab tells him, you need to go back to those little sheep, you need to quit dreaming, you need to quit. You know what he says? Now tell me what happens if I make that shot. You need to put the ball down. Yeah, yeah, I know. Hey, y'all remind me now, what am I going to win if I make this shot? And they repeated to him the same thing that they had before. Hey, you make that shot. If you don't sit on the sidelines, if you decide you're going to do something great for God, you get to marry his daughter. If you make that shot, you'll be rich. If you make that shot, it ain't going to bless you. It's going to bless your whole family because you won't owe no taxes for the rest of your life. And ain't nobody wanting to take that shot yet, David. Because if you miss that shot, everybody's going to laugh at you. Everybody's going to talk about how big a failure you are. And so most people just suffer from FOMO. A feeling of missing out. 
Number three. You're awful quiet. You're listening? Number three. The gift of a great battle. The gift of a great battle is a bigger battle. If anybody in here has ever won a battle, let me tell you what your gift is. You get to fight a bigger one later. Bro, Lord, I've been through this and this. Wonderful. Then you really going to have something fun to talk about when you have to go through something bigger than that. Because the gift of a big battle, if you say, bro, Lord, I was raised in this and I came through this, I, I wouldn't change anything else about my life. I wouldn't change anything in my life. I, I was raised the way I was raised. I was raised in little rental oh, apartment type houses, raised in parsonages and raised in, I wouldn't change anything. I, I, we, we, we struggled from here to there and, and, and can to can't and, and drove little old trucks that shifting the clutch would go out and burn up. We'd have to put, I wouldn't change anything. Why? Because every battle that I've overcome, has prepared me for the battles that God says, Tim, I can put before you. If I hadn't fought any of those battles, if I'd avoided battles, if I'd have said, every shot I've missed, every time I've gone out there and took the laughter of missing, every time I've walked out there and somebody has applauded me for making, every time I've gone out there and just give the effort and give the effort, God has said, what it's done is, it's prepared you for the moment when you're going to take a shot that nobody else would take. See, Michael Jordan didn't make the last shot that won North Carolina the championship. In North Carolina, that's what you see, that picture of him jumping, and he's making that one jump shot that wins the national championship for the University of North Carolina. No, what you hear from him is, is when he got cut from his junior varsity basketball team. Cut! Can you imagine somebody cutting Michael Jordan from the back? I ain't talking about bench player. I'm talking about they cut him. And somebody, some coach, which is not employed somewhere. He is unemployed somewhere. Did not see enough talent in Michael Jordan to say, son, I'm going to work with you. Instead, for that whole year, he had to work on, he grew, worked on his shot, worked on. No, that shot was made a thousand times out in his backyard, making three, two, Anybody ever done that in their yard? Three, two. Michael Jordan did it over and over. So that when the moment came and somebody said, you need to pass it. You need to stay on the bench. He says, no. Give me the ball. Why? Because the gift of a great battles that I've been through is that I get the opportunity to fight a bigger battle. The making the shot at North Carolina only got him drafted by the Chicago Bulls. He failed for eight years to win anything. Eight years he failed to win anything. The Boston Celtics, who had Larry Bird, he would score 63 points and still lose. Until finally, all the battles he had fought, all the weights he had lifted to get his body strong enough, to get his mind strong enough to fight the fight, he turned around then and won six of the next eight NBA championships. He's considered the greatest basketball player of all time. The GOAT. 
but it started when a coach cut him from a basketball team when he was in junior varsity. When somebody said, son, you need to find something else to do, you're not good enough for this. And instead of just sitting there wishing, he started practicing. You want to be a better husband? Practice. Cook dinner for your wife on a regular basis. Keep practicing. You want to be a better wife? Meet your husband at the door more often. Hug him when he comes in. Tell him how grateful you are for him. Practice. It probably won't do any good. May not. But I can guarantee you this. Putting the ball down, there's a 100% chance it won't work no better. You'll just live with FOMA. A feeling that you're missing out. Number four. And then the gift of a greater battle is a bigger battle. Verses 34 through 37. Go there with me. Let me read it. I don't want you to miss out. But David said to Saul, this is David. Saul had told David, you can't do this, son. You can't do this. In fact, go back to verse 33. That's the scripture we remember refused to stay. Here's what Saul told him. You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him, David. Wow. You're not able, son. For you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. You can't beat him. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. I like that. I used to keep my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came out and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb out of its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living. See, God's got a plan. It's not my plan. He just gave me the opportunity. It wasn't my plan to build anything, to do anything. It wasn't even my plan to come to Forest, Mississippi. Can you imagine that? I did not have a plan to come to Forest, Mississippi. Aren't you glad God did? I just simply kept practicing. I was practicing in grocery stores learning how to treat people. I was practicing in pool pits when somebody would invite me every now and then just to go preach. And I would, I would work on my craft and work on how to be in a church. And I, I was working on all those different things, just practicing, just, just practicing, practicing, practicing. Number four, borrowed faith must eventually become your faith. The difference between David and Saul, I wish I had another hour here, and I, I know you do too. The difference between David and Saul was that David had his own faith. He had his own faith. The lion, the bear, the anointing, all, all the same stuff that had taken place. But David had his own faith. Saul lived off borrowed faith. So you can't live off grandma's faith or grandpa's faith. and You can't live off, off a denomination's faith. You've got to have your own faith, your own belief, your own stand. Otherwise, you're going to be like Saul. Go, go with me to verse 32. And I'll show you something. Verse 32. 
Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail him because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. Now think about this. This is a 15-year-old boy telling the king, tell everybody to calm down. Don't, Don't get upset. Don't get anxious. It's okay. I will go out there and I will kill this Philistine. He's telling the king. He's telling the baddest supposed to be man in the whole kingdom, the one that's supposed to be leading the armies. He looks at him and tells him, now don't be afraid. Don't be scared. How scared was Saul? I'll tell you how scared he was. Remember what David was told earlier? Saul was so scared that for 40 days no one would go out there, and this was Saul's strategy. I tell you what, if you can get somebody to go out there and fight them for me, I'll let them marry my daughter, and I'll let them have money and I won't let them pay taxes anymore. If you can find somebody to go out there and do what I'm supposed to do, I will take care of them. Did you get that? The king said he would give you his daughter. The king said, if we can find somebody that will go fight, because I'm not going to go fight. Borrowed faith must eventually become yours. Number five, because when you stay where you are, when you stay where you are, you will stay who you are. I remember people ask me a lot of times shooting basketball now. I love to shoot basketball. I guess I'm getting old. I can't do it like I used to, but I, I, I still love playing. People ask me, where did you learn to play? I learned to play basketball at Lincoln, Alabama. Lincoln, Alabama. I was the only white kid in the whole class. Well, me and one white girl. That was it. So when people talk about racial inequality, I know what that feels like. I lived it. And I knew it when I went to the playground because guess who got picked last? Nobody wanted the white boy. Y'all take the white boy. And the greatest journey, the joy of my life, was to work my way up the ranks. And by the time we left Lincoln, Alabama, I was the first picked on the playground. Out of all the other kids, white, black, put them in there. We'll take the white boy. Why? Listen to me. If you stay where you are, and you remain who you are, life will never change for you. I could have found a place to sit over there and said, look, I don't fit in here. This is not where I need to be. I'm just going to recess. I'm going to just do some drawing over here in the corner. I'm not going to. And you know what? My basketball skills would have never gotten any better. I learned a lot of new names for me. Got called a lot of fun things. Some of them I didn't even know what they were. Met some of the greatest friends. Had some of the greatest time. That summer, I would play baseball with that same group. I played first base. Some of the best memories. I still drive when I go between Atlanta and Birmingham. I pull into Lincoln, Alabama, and the ball field is still there. Just a little grassy field. Just a lot of great memories. But none of those memories would have been there if I had decided somewhere along the way, well, there's no need. Maybe I'll just one day wake up and get better. 
Maybe, maybe one day my kids will just get better. Maybe one day my marriage. Maybe one day my job. Maybe one day, can I go ahead and break it to you? It won't. One phrase I've lived by most of my life, if you do what you've always done, you will always get what you've always got. If you don't want to like what you've got, if you don't like what you're getting, then you better start changing what you're doing. If you don't like the way your family's turning out, you better change the way you're doing your family. Brother, that's hard. I know it. It's much easier in this society just to sit back and hope somebody fixes it. It's much easier to get on Facebook and hope somebody will like what you do. But we have a society so bent on being liked and trying to find their place. And find, I mean, think about it. We have people that will take bicycles and drive them off cliffs just so that for 15 minutes of fame on TikTok or something that somebody will put a thumbs up. They're so hungry to feel like I, I'm, I have value. There's some of you in this room that struggle with the same stuff. But when you stay where you are, you will stay who you are. Let me tell you Saul's life. Because Saul did not want to change. Because Saul would not move forward. Because Saul kept waiting for somebody to fix it for him. When David and Saul later would go to battle, David would take his men and Saul would take his, the women started a song. And it said, David kills his 10,000 and Saul kills his thousand. Saul would get so angry about that later that he would finally start throwing spears at David, trying to kill him. He would chase him up to caves and try to kill him. Spent years looking for him, would take his whole army after David and a few men trying to kill him. The end of Saul's life, he's got one last night. One last night. The next day he's going to fight the Philistines and he knows he's doomed. You know what he does? He puts on a, a robe and covers his head where nobody can see. He sneaks off to this soothsayer's house. To a sorceress's house. And, and, and he comes in and she says, I know who you are. He says, don't worry about who I am, just get me Samuel. He'd been living off Samuel's anointing and living off Samuel all his life. And she said, okay. She allows Samuel's voice to come. And Samuel looks, talks to Saul and says, why are you bothering me, Saul? I'm resting. Saul says, I need your help. He said, I done told you there ain't no help for you. See, if you keep doing what you've always done, you will keep getting what you've always got. If you want to change your life, people who are successful, people who, who, who accomplish, listen to me, these steps are the same for all of us. We don't want to sit on the sidelines, we want to be in it. We don't care about the battle, we realize there's bigger ones, we're okay with that. We don't have to have borrowed faith, we believe ourselves, we, we, we lead we realize that if we stay where we are, we'll be stuck there. Number six. You eventually must move your life from obligations to a life of intention. There's going to be enough people around you, even today, that are going to say these words. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything. 
You, you don't have to try. You don't have to pray. You don't have to give an effort. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything. Isn't it good when somebody tells you that? Isn't that, that kind of like just a soothing feeling when somebody looks at you and says, Hey, you've done so much already. You don't have to. I've spent the last 20 years of my life people telling me that. You, you moved that church over to here. Man, Pastor Lot, I'm telling you, I don't know anybody could have done that years ago, 20 years ago. I don't know. And I've spent the last 20 years shaking that off every time somebody says it to me. Bro, Lot, you need to get some rest. Bro, Lot, you need to slow down. Bro, Lot. I mean... Someone who wants to move forward in life, listen to me. You don't do things every day of your life because it's what you're supposed to do. That's what everybody else does. I'm surrounded by people all the time that will just, what do you need me to do? What, what can I do? What? And they walk by five pieces of paper laying on the ground on their way to ask me. The Bible says, whatever your hands find to do, do it. As unto the Lord, do it. Whatever's in your hands right now, if it's school, if you're a young person and you're in school, then be the very best you can be. God's giving you gifts or talent. Use them for the best. Develop them. I, I, I don't have a lot of gifts and skills. I, I can't play any of these instruments up here. I, I'm, I'm, ha I'm hard of hearing, so my singing's not the greatest. It sounds good to me. I don't really care what everybody else thinks. It sounds great to me. But whatever gifts he's ever given me, whatever one I ever find that I actually have a little of, you better be sure that I just wear it out becoming the best at it. Don't live your life doing what you're supposed. Live your life by intentions. Let me close by saying this. In, if you look up online, and, and of course we used this phrase years ago, in basketball there's a phrase that you don't want to hear. It's, it's an embarrassment. In fact, it's, it's a horrible word for anybody to ever speak to you. It's the word self-check. Anybody know what self-check means? In basketball, that, that's a word that gets used when somebody is a player who basically is so bad that you don't have to guard them. In basketball, we would look at different people and we would say, that's a self-check, self-check. In other words, we can put two people on this one. This one out of the three-point line, you don't even have to go out there to it. The definition in, in online says it this way, a really lame basketball player who can't score. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be the worst definition. If you say, well, tell me about his basketball. He's a really lame basketball player who can't score. Oh. It's a player you don't have to cover. We call them self-checks. And I think of all the worst things that the enemy could call us. 
Because there's really only one battle, one game, one, one thing we're actually really seriously about is what God wants. And of all the things the enemy could look at me and say, if whoever's spirit, demonic spirits over forest that try to princes of the air are ruling, and they, they talk to Satan one day, and Satan says, tell me how things are going in forest. And they say, oh, man, we, we're, we're wearing them out in forest. Man, we got meth, we got this, we got stuff, and, man, we've got addictions, we've got breakups, we've got kids. Man, we are, we are wearing them out. Well, what about Tim Lott, Pastor Lott over at All Seasons? He's a self-check. We don't have to do anything to stop him, slow him down. He ain't no problem to us. What about your family? When the enemy comes knocking on your door to want to hurt a kid or ruin lives, and do they look at you and say, self-check. That one ain't going to fight us. The worst thing would be for somebody to throw me the ball and for Satan to just back up and say, go ahead, I'm not scared of you. Remember, there's a story of that in the Bible. The seven sons of Sceva, they, they decided they were going to be demonic people that cast them out. And they got in a room, one of these demonic possessed people. Notice what he said to them. Peter we know, Paul we know, we don't let them shoot, but you, we don't know you. We don't know you. You haven't hurt us, you don't bother us, you don't scare us. And the Bible says that one man possessed basically just ripped their clothes off, beat them up, tore them up, and they went running down the street trying to get away from him. You're a self-check. I don't want my family one day to look back and say, Dad, you were a self-check. You didn't stand in there and fight for us. I don't want my wife one day to say, Tim, you were a self-check. You, you just let everything happen in our marriage and you didn't fight for us. I don't want my church to look back one day and say, man, why didn't you preach that stuff? Why didn't you tell us? Or as we say in all season, why don't you step on our toes? No, I want God to say, I'm looking for somebody to put in a gap. I'm looking for somebody. And you know what? That old Tim over there, he's been practicing, he's been practicing, and I, I'm going to give him a shot. When I do, I don't want to have FOMA. I don't want to have a fear of missing out. I want to have prepared my life to say, yeah, I was ready for this moment. Devil, you picked the wrong family because I was ready for this moment. You picked the wrong marriage. I've been ready for this moment. You picked the wrong person to think you were going to get ahead. 
Oh, you may come back another day. You may come back, but I'm going to tell you what's going to happen today. I'm going to shoot this one right in your eye. And I'm going to do it every time you keep coming back. Will you stand? What happens, Brother Lot, when you, when you become that kind of person? Well, you're allowed to get called a ball hog. And in basketball, you get all other different names. Let me tell you what will happen in your life. Just like David, somebody's going to look at you and say something like this. We ain't going to applaud you for this, David. Eliab, Saul, nobody got up and patted him on the back. Nobody got up and said, boy, that's an awesome thing. They didn't cheer him as he went down to fight Goliath. Nobody stood up and sung a song or nobody. No. Let me tell you what's going to happen when you walk out of here. Very few people are going to applaud you. Very few people are going to say anything great about you. Something else is going to happen to you is this. If they do say anything, they're going to say this. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you're going to, you're going to go win that? You're going to fight that? You're going to, you're going to beat that? Who do you think you are? <laughs> Saul and Eliab, that's all they could give him. You can't do it. There's no use in doing it. You're going to fail. But David knew one thing that they didn't know. Because there was something else he was doing out in those pastures when he wasn't killing lions and bears. He was writing songs. He wasn't just practicing on his skills. He had practiced his skills because we knew when he went out to battle, he said, I haven't proven a sword and I haven't proven a shield, but I've proven this slingshot and it'll be fine. I know how to fight. But inside of him was the music that when nobody was singing, he was still singing, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He would go on to say, He prepares the table in the presence of mine enemies. If I'm walking out, that means He's just setting it up. It's going to be a good day. Shoot or shoot. Babe Ruth said it best. They asked him when he Struck out so many times. He said, let me tell you something. I hit big. I miss big. Because I swing big. How do you swing when it comes to your life? Do you swing for the fences? Or is there a place in your life right now you look at and you're like, oh. I fear 
I fear making a mistake. I fear it won't work out. I fear I'm going to miss it. My dad had a phrase, another one I lived by. I'm big on phrases. And this is probably my favorite. And I tell my kids this all the time. When they tell me this and can't do the, I said, son, let me tell you one thing for sure. Can't never could. Can't never could. As long as you keep saying you can't, you're right. Can't never could. But God says, I'm not looking for your abilities. I'm just looking when you take the shot. If you're in this room today, don't get caught up in all the anxiety and fear that this world lives in. There's a calling on your life. There's a place God's called you as a parent, as a husband, a wife, as a worker, as part of a church. God's called you and quit letting the fear of what somebody told you you can't do or can do. Don't let it cripple you and put you in a life that was never meant for you. Can't, never could. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I like that phrase a whole lot better. Will you bow your head? Father, for that person in the room right now, the person in the room that, that was that feels like in life everybody told me just pass me the ball pass me the ball Pat, you can't shoot you can't drift. pass me the ball and they've developed in their life just a mindset that I can't Father will you remind them that they can do anything through your strength and your power if a 15 year old boy with a rock can take on a giant who's been fighting from the time he was a kid the baddest on the block and just a rock and a sling. Father, how much more can you do with our lives? How much more can you do if we just decide I'll go fight? I'll step out of the comfort. I don't want to live my life the fear of missing out. I'd rather live with the fear of failure. I'd rather live with the fear of it messing all up. I don't want to live my life of what ifs. Father, for that person in this room that just hasn't fully sold out to what you've given them to do right now, it doesn't seem that important. God, would you just remind them if you can trust them in the little things, trust them in what you put in their hands right now, that God, there's an extraordinary day coming. I don't know when. I don't know the way. I don't know how the setup. But I know this much, there's an extraordinary day coming when they'll see that everything that I've done, this was what I did it for. And I praise you for it. And I thank you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hey, if you get a chance, give that devil fits next week.